This is Channel 253. Channel 253 is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. I'm Nate Bowling, and I fly Alaska. To book your next trip, go to alaskaair.com. This is the We Art Tacoma podcast. Hi, Dilly Ho, Doug. <laughs> well, hi there, neighbor. <laughs> this is Eric Hanberg, host of the We Art Tacoma podcast. I'm producer Doug. <laughs> yes. And uh, we are sitting down with Bill Heater today to talk about his collection of uh, the Simpsons cells, animation cells, that he has uh, let Tam display, the first ever Simpsons animation exhibit uh, in the nation, and it's here in Tacoma. You'd expect a funny collection to be owned by a funny guy, and you will be amused. Yes, let's give it a listen. So we're here for an interview. We're at TAM with uh, art collector Bill Heater. Welcome to the podcast, Bill. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm excited uh, to talk to you about many things, but uh, The Simpsons has got to be high on that list because uh, we're here for Bart at TAM, which is an unauthorized Simpsons <laughs> animation art exhibit here at uh, TAM that opens this weekend, July 20th, and then runs for a while. Uh, and this is because of you, your collection of animation. Themselves. No, if it's unauthorized, I know nothing about oh, it. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's. Um, I approached Tam about a year ago, and and been building this collection really since the early '90s, and it was it was wonderful. I was actually kind of complaining to my wife that we have all this wonderful art, and it's in boxes, and it's in the closet, and this kind of thing, and. She said, well, quit whining, do something about it, reach out to somebody. And I, I called the TAM, and it was one phone call. Yeah. And they said, we'd love to do something. We're, we're trying to encourage animation and education. And you're, you're not from Tacoma. Why did you call Tacoma Art Museum? I'm curious. Um, my wife works in Tacoma. Oh, okay. And I'm in the Springs. Um, Colorado Springs. Colorado Springs, yes. So, as I say, I'm best tolerated from a distance. <laughs> so, she works here and, and literally lives in the apartment building right over there. Okay. So, I drove past the TAM and yeah, stopped yeah, yeah. in and called them and That's one amazing. thing led to another. When did you start collect? Uh, there, I guess there's two questions here. When did you start collecting, first of all, and then when did it become Simpsons? Um, my very first cell, I still remember, I bought in 1981, and I had just graduated from school in Madison, Wisconsin, and came across a Warner Brothers cell. And someone introduced me to uh, the Chuck Jones people out in California, and Chuck was a famous Warner Brothers director, yep. and he was releasing cells. So I contacted them, and I bought it, and it was $100. And my hand was shaking when I was writing that check. What was it? It was a cell of um, about five or six Warner Brothers characters all sitting on a fence post. Like a, It was called Western Edition. Okay. So it was all the characters wearing Western garb and yeah. this kind of thing. But I didn't have $100 getting coming out of school. And here I'm writing a check for a cartoony <laughs> picture. And it was... It was I still remember that experience. So, yeah. so I started collecting that in the '80s, and then uh, branched out. My favorite cartoon is How the Grinch Stole Christmas, and started collecting that um, pretty aggressively, and built that collection, and then kind of branched out from there. Wow! And then The Simpsons. 
come into it? The Simpsons was probably uh, 93-ish, I think. Um, the very first, the only episode actually that aired in the 80s was their very first episode, The Simpsons Roasting on an Open Fire. And uh, frankly, Fox wasn't very organized in distributing the art. So there wasn't a lot of it out there and it wasn't easy to find. But I, an animation gallery that was carrying other art showed me some Simpsons things and one uh, piece in particular struck me and I bought that and what was what was the piece I have no idea okay <laughs> but it was great <laughs> it was fabulous <laughs> but uh, the reason I, I honestly don't remember and and part of that is I'm always calling my collection because I'm always looking oh, for really? a better image from a scene or from a particular episode or whatever it may be so um, yeah I've, I've turned over quite a bit of the collection over the years okay so one of the things that I, I think is really interesting about what you're collecting is is it's it's art certainly, but it's also pop culture. Mm -hmm. What what is drawing you to to these these cells in particular? Um, well, the I can answer that a lot of ways. One of the things that I look for is the visual gag. Um, I don't want just an image of Bart or just an image of the family. I want one of two things. Either I want to look at it and laugh because independently it's funny. Uh, a good example of that is there's a cell downstairs of Homer walking through a construction zone and it says hard hats require danger, all this kind of stuff. And of course, Homer's oblivious, not wearing a hard hat. Right. So that stands alone as being humorous. Um, there's other pieces that remind me of a certain episode. And in particular, I'm a big fan of Krusty the Clown. So Krusty gets canceled, Krusty gets busted, Camp Krusty is one of my favorites. Those cells more, there may not be something inherently funny just looking at it, but it reminds me of the episode, which makes me laugh. There was one down there that, that I had the exact same experience where, where Krusty is the Clown College episode where he's trying <laughs> to show people like different names of funny cities. And he names two in Washington. He names Seattle and Walla Walla. And um, you've got those cells up there. Actually, the TAM has them. We, uh, Christy and I donated them to the TAM. Oh, wow. Because we just felt they belonged here. That was it's, very kind it's, of you. Well, it's, it's perfect. It's where they should be. They're home. <laughs> They're so, home. At, yeah. at a home for Northwest and Western yeah. art. And the same with the glass blowing ones. Those are perfect for here from the itchy and scratchy episode where itchy <laughs> tosses <laughs> scratchy into the, into the fire and he becomes a neon sign. Yeah. Figure exactly. that one. I'd, I'd love to be in the room when somebody throws out that <laughs> plot line, <laughs> but yeah. So it's, uh, you know, so those are the two things I look for. Either the visual gag that you look at or, reminding me of a particular episode. Mm -hmm. um, I said earlier, one of the things that uh, I love about some of this art, it, it, there's one piece in particular that I have hanging in the hallway, and it's been there 10 years, and I still chuckle. Every day I walk, I, I chuckle when I see it first thing in the morning, and I chuckle when I go to bed at night. And um, What is it? <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's a couch gag, and actually... Um, it's it's one that's signed by Matt Groening. Oh wow! And which was pretty cool. And it's got him erasing his name where he signed it. So it, it's a newer episode, but it's pretty funny because he's he runs in and signs it, or somebody signs it, and then he erases it. And I just think it's it, yeah. it's pretty humorous of him to be involved in one of the couch. He's actually been in a couple couch gags, but I like the the meta side of that. Yeah, yeah, it's just fun. So I. 
and all the couch gags I get a kick out of. They're, they've become so elaborate oh, these man. days. It's the that, Banksy one that they did a few years oh, ago, yeah. and yeah, yeah, the um, spoof of uh, all the Disney cartoons, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It's, but do you, do you still watch the show? Not as much. Yeah, not as much. I, I found that I did the same. I I, I religiously watched it. For years and years and years, I would, you know, TiVo it, I'd watch it, and I was just finding, I was, I was laughing, I would have like one belting out laugh at least once mm-hmm. an episode, at least. But the other 22 minutes were like, eh, it's just not as, it, and, it just wasn't on point as much as it was for those what those years would years. you say? Do you, do you have any recollection of the seasons? <clears throat> yeah, that's, I, I, I couldn't say seasons, but, you know, I remember watching it in the 90s and mm-hmm. there was that time you know i was i was a kid at the time my parents weren't sure about whether i should be watching it <laughs> um and then there was a time you know the late 90s or late 90s where it was like culturally very relevant you know everyone saying it's the smartest show not everyone but yeah. people saying it's mm-hmm. the smartest show on tv you know there was that period of time yeah then there was that period of time where it seemed like they kind of ran out of plot ideas and they just went absurd like super absurd where each between each commercial break was like i think of it as like a weird seinfeld thing like each commercial break was a different story kind of and then they wrapped it up in some way at the end where like like he would he would have scarecrows and then he would and then it was a tennis like they just kept they never quite worked but sometimes they were genius and then it and then it was and then it was good for a while again and then it just kind of fell down again, I think. And yeah, in particular, I think the ones, I mean, I appreciate what you're saying. I agree with you that especially some of them, it's like they just threw the ending on there. They yeah. weren't sure how to finish the episode, so they just wound right. it up. Right. And it didn't necessarily make sense or wasn't particularly clever. Um, my opinion, and, you know, everybody has their own, but for me, the best seasons were like three through eight. Yeah. And I really attribute that to two guys. Um Bill Oakley and Josh Weinstein, who were executive producing. And, you know, these were the days when Conan O'Brien was writing some episodes. Brad, Brad and Bird. Brad Bird, yep. And I think the combination of um, Oakley and Weinstein and, you know, some of the directors they had were just terrific. Um, in the early days, David Silverman directed some episodes. And, I mean, who who does a Jackie Gleason <laughs> In this day and age, a Jackie Gleason reference, David Silverman. Right. And it was terrific. And Wes Archer did some great episodes. Mark Kirkland, who's still with the series. But um, a lot of them, like Bird and some others, drifted off into yeah. other bigger, better things. And Yeah. I, think- I, re- I remember someone saying recently that, like, if you go back to some of those early episodes and you tried to, like, explain each joke, you would almost need to footnote these things. Because, like, no one, not, I shouldn't say no one, but very few people will get the the officer and a gentleman reference anymore, mm-hmm. you know, like, like it's just not a movie that has stuck around the cultural right. reference, you know, even though it was a big deal at the time, right. like there's all these jokes that were highly topical, highly relevant to that particular time. And people just may not get yeah. anymore. And I think that's really interesting how, how timely that show has tried to be, especially considering that it's animation. Yeah. Um, it works for them and against them. I think, mm-hmm. um, I still like to go back and look at the syndication the ones in syndication, which are the early years. Well, I mean, it's all—it's pretty much every season, but right now they're running through the early years, and I get such a chuckle out of them, but I get the references because right. I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> so, the, the, you know, anybody who's younger and doesn't understand a lot of those 80s and 90s things, right. it's going to go over their head. But, you know, that, that same thing happened with Warner Brothers. Warner sure. Brothers did some wonderfully topical humor 
that went over most people's heads and now people would have no idea. Right. But, um, but Bugs Bunny is still pretty funny regardless of whether you get the, the, the topical jokes or not. Yeah. And the thing that people forget is those cartoons were written for adults. Yeah. I mean, there wasn't Saturday morning cartoons in the forties. It was, it was for movie theaters. Right. So it was written for adults and, that was the, what the humor. That's interesting. I hadn't thought of that. Yeah, I, I remember hearing Chuck Jones once talking about uh, his litmus test for something that was funny were the other directors in the room because they would pitch ideas. And he said, we knew if we could get back the tough, get the toughest crowd, the directors, to laugh at it. We didn't worry about the audience. We knew they would be okay. But it was never directed at children. And uh, they felt that that was talking down to people, and they didn't want to do that. And I think that, so. that even though it was because of Bart that The Simpsons got popular, it, w- it really pretty quickly became an adult, a, yeah. f- a show for adults. I mean, it started very Bart-focused, but I, it pretty quickly did become one for adults. Agreed, and actually that's how I really started getting involved in The Simpsons. I was doing some licensing for a gift wrap company and, and party goods, and party goods meaning, you know, birthday plates, cups, table covers, napkins, and we signed the license for The Simpsons. And it was our first big break. Um, we really? had never, yeah, we had never had a big license like The Simpsons. And, and my thinking was, oh, this will be wonderful for kids' birthday parties to feature Bart. It didn't do so well <laughs> because really it had shifted to a home, more Homer-based yep. and yep. very much adult. And it was, it was neither fish nor fowl, so to speak. So um, we had the license for a few years and we didn't... You know, we got placement in some major retailers, but um, because I don't yeah. think anybody could figure out where it belonged, who, who it didn't did, do that well. Yeah, yeah. that's interesting. So, so back to your collection. Do you know how many how many cells you have right now, roughly speaking? Eight hundred and forty-two. Eight hundred forty-two. I'm not sure the exact number, but it, it's probably eight or nine hundred. Yeah, it's yeah. it's up there. Are you done? Picked one up this week. Yeah, wow. never, never done. Never done. Never done. Not so much trying to add, um, unless, you know, something from an episode I liked came up. But again, I'm always trying to call the collection. I'm always kind of look at it and say, okay, what are the weaker pieces here? What or to me is no longer relevant or funny, whatever. And so I'll look to perhaps sell that or trade that in lieu of something that I like a little bit more. Wow. So, yeah, I'm always on the lookout for them. Okay. Just... This is what this is what happens when you're addicted. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are going to uh, take a quick break, and then okay. when we come back from the break, I'm going to ask you about uh, what we'll actually see at the exhibit uh, downstairs. Great. This episode of the We Art Tacoma podcast was generously supported by the Tacoma Arts Commission. What is that, you ask? The Arts Commission is a volunteer group of citizens appointed by City Council who support the development of our community through public art, arts programming, and funding of arts organizations, artists, and, apparently, podcasts about the arts. This year, through the Arts Projects Fund, the Arts Commission funded 32 Tacoma organizations in the fields of dance, craft, film, music, visual, literary, and cultural arts. My thanks to the Tacoma Arts Commission for funding this podcast and the many awesome programs, artists, and organizations around the city. All right, we're back and we're talking about Bart at TAM with Mm -hmm. uh, Bill Heater. So downstairs in the museum is a 
col- one of the most colorful exhibits I think I've seen at this museum. It's, Didn't they do a great time. job? It's so great. The walls are pink and blue and yellow, and it's so it feels so Simpsons when you walk in there. Well, that's what our home looks like. <laughs> <laughs> they took the color references from our home. No, I think they did a wonderful job. I, everything from the colors to just the way they themed it, the way the, the wall has the clouds floating over yes. it, and again, back to this... Homer going through the construction zone. I don't know if you saw this, but overhead is a toolbox and wrench oh, and screwdriver. So if you look up, it's falling on you. That's funny. They did some great things down there, I think, yeah. Yeah, it definitely has uh, has an irreverence to it that I think mm-hmm. is very uh, befitting of the subject. It so is. so we when, when you walk in, you see uh, the different characters. You see how they relate to their Tracy Ullman uh, mm-hmm. you know, originals. There's early sketches, which I thought were really yeah. interesting, where you can see how the different um, characters come together. You know, like like uh, in the Rosebud episode, there's a sketch of that bear and all the different Bobo. Ways. Bobo, yeah. that's yeah. right. Uh, Bobo the bear. So um, it's more than just the cells. It's it's a real uh, attempt to like here's how here's what it takes to create an animated show like this. Yeah, that's. Um one thing that I find fascinating, and Margaret mentioned it, is the we have one exhibit where it's got the cells flared, and there's like five or six, and I don't think people realize they don't repaint the, char- the entire character for each movement. There's cells with just eyeballs on them, or arms, or legs. And I have to go back and reference this. I don't know if you've ever seen the episode where Bart buys an animation cell. Oh, I can't remember if I've oh, seen that he one. Does, yeah, yeah. There's this Lionel Hutz or somebody is hawking him on TV, and Bart sends away, steals Homer's credit card, I think, sends away for an animation cell. And, of course, six to eight weeks later, right. it shows up, and it's Scratchy's arm. And that's <laughs> I have it. seen that. Yes, I that's, have seen that. And, I, you know, so I guess my point is I like showing downstairs that, you know, animation is about multiple layers being photographed and, and the movement um, there's thousands and thousands of cells that go into every cartoon, but it may be an eyeball or maybe an arm. You don't right. know. Right. When, um, when, I, when I was looking around there, I, I really responded to the visual gags mm-hmm. uh, that you talked about, but there's also some moments where it does seem the composition of it feels very artistic. Like it's not just the visual gag. Like there's one where I'm just like, they knew how to lay out a shot. You know, they. It, this is art, I guess, is what I'm getting at. Um, it, just in a di- in service of something different. I, I absolutely agree, and I think um, not speaking to the Simpsons specifically, but one of the biggest tragedies out there is um, Jack Warner in the early '60s decided that the Warner Brothers art wasn't art and had, I would say, over 90% of it destroyed. Wow. It, when you think of all those cartoons. It, Prior to World War II, it literally went down the drain because they would take the cells and wash them. It was wow. actually uh, celluloid, and it was fragile, and it was more valuable being reused. And then post-World War II, they went to, to acetate, and it accumulated in a warehouse in L.A., or Hollywood, wherever. Mm-hmm. And uh, Warner decided, eh, this isn't valuable, and had it trashed. Wow. I think it went to either a landfill or was burned. I'm not sure which one. Wow. And I just thought the incredible disrespect these artists must have felt. Years and years. Um, and I, I mentioned earlier that a lot of these artists are fine artists. In, animation was their job. 
but they, you know, their preference was oils, watercolors, whatever, and maybe California scenes, maybe whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and their, so their day job was doing the animation, and but that wasn't considered art. Yeah, and I just thought it was so disrespectful. Yeah. So, um, I, are are the uh, are the is there an end date for which the cells downstairs? stop like is there a time where they stop being animation cells because they're all digital now like how how does that work for yeah the i think i think the simpsons well you know this is season 30 i believe and and they stopped doing uh hand-drawn cells in season 13 okay midway through season 13 i believe but they so, still produced cells after that no 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 it's all digital all they would produce drawings but it would go straight to digital and then uh eventually everything was digitally painted as well as the line work. Mm-hmm. And, and that's one of the big differences. You know, uh, people ask me why I like that early art. And part of it's because of the humor and the episodes and everything. Sure. But part of it is I love the hand-drawn aspect of it. The line work is inconsistent. You know a person drew that. If you look at it now, digitally, it, it, each the thickness of the line and the consistency of the line is perfect. I don't like that. Mm. <laughs> and again, no disrespect intended towards the people who are doing them now. Um, I just my preference is to see that little bit more early crude, but hand drawn way of that right. they did things. So everything downstairs is is pretty much eighty nine to thirteen years later. So yep. early two thousands. Those yep. those early seasons, their their glory days, as we yep. were kind of yeah, talking. Yeah, I, I think so. One thing I learned about collecting, um, which kind of I hadn't thought about it, but it really dawned on me that. Some of the funniest episodes didn't have particularly funny cells in them. Hmm. It may have been, you know, the writing that was interesting, the dialogue, but the cell itself wasn't. And actually, some of the episodes that I didn't like that much would have a great gag in there. So I would collect that. But it it wasn't necessarily a reflection on the episode itself. It's more the sight gag or whatever that happened to be there or not. Yeah. I had never really thought about that before. That's interesting. Yeah. Have you met anyone from the Simpsons staff, the writers, the cast, Matt himself? Uh, no, I haven't met Matt. I've met some of the, um, well, I shouldn't say Matt, because in, in person I haven't met any of the um, directors or the producers. I've corresponded with them. Um, <laughs> they're nice enough to tolerate my questions and that kind of thing. I have been fortunate enough to sit in a couple table reads. Oh, wow. Which are a lot of fun because you've got the whole, you know, all the voice actors sitting around a table. Hank Azari has his dog under his feet and um, they just go through the script. And uh, there's only probably 25, 20, 25 people in the room. And it's just a lot of fun. It's for me to see Dan Castellaneta who's, you know, an unassuming, quiet guy, come out and (laughs) do these voices. And I haven't seen, I haven't met Harry Shearer, um, but his versatility is unbelievable. Um, It was just a blast to see him. It It was fun to see Julie Kavner because Julie doesn't make many public appearances and she won't do the voice of Marge in public. Won't do it. There was a actor's studio. Inside the actor's studio. I remember the, all the cast on there. And yeah. if you look, every time they talked to Julie Kavner, they would cut to the cartoon Marge. Oh, interesting. They never would show her. She doesn't want to be shown doing the voice. That's really interesting. But it was fun to sit at the table and see her do the voice. And um, I think we had uh, Jane uh, Krakowski 
from 30 Rock Stop in, and uh, yeah. she was checking out the voice read because she was coming up the next episode. So that was a lot of fun. That's and, a really and they cool were experience. incredibly gracious for someone like me just to sit in there and eavesdrop. They could not have been nicer. Yeah. So. Do you have any other collections going? You mentioned uh, the Grinch. Anything else that, that still resonates with you? Yeah, you want to buy one? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, one of the things that I learned over the years is I needed to be more focused because I would start buying different things from, uh, I remember, have you ever heard of Screwy Squirrel? It's no. MGM cartoon. That, no. that tells you. <laughs> I, I collected a couple of those. Oh, why am I doing this? This probably isn't where I want to go with in my collection. So I ended up, um, I, we have five or six parts of it. And I think uh, the one that I really worked on a lot that I just love to this day is How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Yeah. And we have a, a pretty large collection of cells from that. Um, I think a watershed movie, and it, it's still to me phenomenal, is Who Framed Roger Rabbit? And we have a lot of, matter of fact, we have an exhibit going on later this year of cells from Who Framed Roger Rabbit at, at another museum. Um, the Simpsons, I, I like uh, art from Jay Ward, some of the Rocky and Bullwinkle things, uh, but those are really tough to find because those were mostly destroyed. Yeah. Obviously, Warner Brothers, um, particularly Chuck Jones, I love his art, and... Um, I've started collecting more recently some original illustrations by Dr. Seuss hmm. and uh, not necessarily the cat in the hat and the Grinch and that kind of thing. He did a lot of one-off creatures yeah. that were just, I've seen some, some of like the, the ads that he did when he worked for a creative agency and you can yeah. see those, you, they all look like Dr. Seuss characters. Oh yeah. You know, yeah. Still, he's, yeah. he had a, he had a style. He did. Have you heard of the unorthodox taxidermy? Have you heard of this? No. Yeah, he, um, his father was a zookeeper out in California, and his father would come home with uh, <laughs> dead, animal dead animals, skulls. sure. And Dr. Seuss would decide to create his own animal from that skull. That's amazing. And he came up with about 20 different 3D sculpted creatures, and a company called uh, Chase Art in, in Chicago has the license to reproduce limited edition versions of it. Nice. So it's like having a wall, literally a wall of taxidermy, all done by Dr. Seuss, yeah. and there are some bizarre characters in there. <laughs> well, I, I have two kids, and I have read oh. plenty of uh, Dr. Seuss to them, and there he he had quite an imagination. As he did, know. and no kids, and no kids. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's, it's yeah. great stuff. So, it's not animation per se. It's uh, you know illustrative art from books primarily, or Absolutely. from just his own yeah. mind. But I love it. That's great. Well, uh, Tacoma, Bart at TAM opens uh, this weekend. This is uh, July 20th is going to be the first day, and then uh, you can see it for several months, but uh, get in there. It's, it looks great, and thank you, Bill, for uh, letting this be on display. Um, um, the first You said the first Simpsons exhibit ever, yeah, basically. Yeah, there's never been an, an ex, uh, exhibition of their animation art that I'm aware of in the country, so yeah. this is the first one, and ho hopefully the first of... Yeah. More to come. And it's here in Tacoma. So thank you it so is. much. Thanks, Eric. Appreciate it. Channel 253 is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. I'm Nate Bowling, and I fly Alaska. To book your next trip, go to alaskaair.com. This is Channel 253.